hospitality, it's all about one percenters and it's always about the micro adjustments you could make to making the whole experience for a guest better. And I somewhat feel as though you can apply that to running a lot as well. Running can be quite an intimidating thing when you don't know what's going on. Like you don't know how fast people are running, you don't know how far it is. Like, oh my God, am I going to keep up? If you just like, ask, like that's the whole thing with eight months. If you just ask someone how they are, like that's the whole kind of vibe we want to keep going. Hello and welcome back to The Big Run. On today's episode, we head over to Melbourne, Australia to talk with George Wintle. George is an incredibly talented chef that works at one of the city's top restaurants, Attica. And when he's not in the kitchen, he's clocking up the miles. And George is the founder of 8 Miles Run Club, a running community based out in Australia that was originally founded as a space for people within the hospitality industry, but has since grown to become a welcoming, friendly, inclusive community for runners of all abilities who are looking to progress in their running journey. In this conversation, we talk about George's life in the kitchen as well as outside of it, the crossovers between those two worlds, whether the bear is an accurate representation of a high-pressured cooking environment, George's signature dish, and why there may even be a London chapter opening towards the end of the year. It's a fantastic conversation, and I'm really grateful to George for taking the time to come on the show. Let's get into the interview. George, thank you so much for coming on The Big Run. Really excited to have you here, joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia, and really excited to learn more about you and 8 Miles. Now, I say 8 Miles, but it's not 8 as in the number 8. It's 8 as in eating and food and con consuming food and all the joys and wonders that brings, and that's sort of intrinsically linked to this community that you've built. But before we kind of get into that, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and then we'll get into this community that you've been building in Melbourne. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, an absolute pleasure to be able to talk about what I do and, and kind of what 8 Miles is. Based in Melbourne, a chef by trade. So oh, how long? Maybe for like four or five years I've had this initiative within the mental health uh, industry in Melbourne called Eat the Issue. And that was really revolved around mental health and encouraging those conversations around mental health and hospitality and kind of got myself into running a bit more and then was like running's incredible for your mental health so then evolved that eat the issue into eight miles so eight miles i had the initial intention of it with trying to direct it more towards hospitality people which really 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 quickly went out the door because i think that if you're creating a space for people to come and run in and a community for people to run in where they feel good and they feel happy and safe like you're like you've ticked all your boxes there we get a few hospital people coming um every now and then but i think we definitely do encapsulate that hospitality mindset of it's more about coming together and enjoying the company and being kind and helping each other um mm. like we all have coffee together afterwards which uh which the shop we do it at are very very kind to help us out with um so I think people more so run for the coffee. We spend more time drinking coffee than we do running, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I'm like super happy with how the community's kind of rolled out within eight miles. We've just just ticked over one year now, which is pretty exciting. Um, 
yeah, good core group of people, which is great. It's so interesting that thing of um, the, the thing you touched on earlier of the the sort of the mental health strains within the sort of hospitality industry because it is it's an intense industry to work on, and I'm saying this and underlining it by saying I, I worked in a bar when I was a teenager, but I mean I don't have the level of experience because you are. We were talking a little bit before we started rolling. Like you're you're operating in quite a, a higher tier of the the hospitality industry, right? Yeah, so I work I work at a restaurant called Attica, which is in Ripponlea, based in Melbourne's south southern suburbs. Um, I think a little bit before my time, like they were yeah really at that top tier globally. You know, being number fourteen in the world, um, having a consistent three hats, which is our equivalent of Michelin stars in Australia for you know twelve thirteen years. Um, so kind of coming in there, and I think that's almost you know I, I love operating at that level. And in hospitality, it's all about one percenters, and it's always about the micro adjustments you could make to making the whole experience for a guest better. And I somewhat feel as though you apply that to running a lot as well, um, especially with those longer distance events like the marathon, the half marathon. It's not so much about, you know, going out and redlining for 5Ks, 10Ks. And, you know, I guess, I guess every running distance, you kind of, there are those one percenters you can adjust. But I think that's what I really, really enjoy with running is just getting better a little bit more each time. Maybe you have a shit day. You find out something new that went wrong and that's the exact same way as hospitality works like you kind of learn from your mistakes a lot and you go back the next day and you give it another shot you know that high pressure environment you're talking about so the the, the three hats sort of michelin star level or the three hats the, the australian equivalent yeah when we talk about pressure i mean the first thing that instantly jumps to mind and again we were talking about this before we hit the record this the wildly popular the bear tv series which is kind of blown up <laughs> all over the world it's just finished its second season now like watching that is a stress test. Like it's an inv- a very intense watch. Is is that accurate to the sort of level of pressure that is contained within those kitchen environments, or is is that like slightly over the top? Do you think? I think yes, to a degree. I think it's probably the most accurate representation of a kitchen you'll find in any TV show or film. Yeah, I guess like within restaurants, you know, your deadlines for things are in minutes. You know, like if you're working. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on nine to five jobs. I know they're all different, but, you know, some deadlines are like weeks or they might be days. You know, we work in like seconds and minutes. So to be able to, like, you know, we work with 13 different courses, you know, at a multitude of different ingredients that like you got to be like super quick and there's so much stuff to do that you got to just like keep pushing and pushing and pushing all day. Um, when you have a full restaurant, like it just doesn't stop. From the moment you walk in the door, you're going and mm. like, yeah breadlining just the entire day so yeah the pressure definitely does does get up there (laughs) i think attica the culture within attica is really amazing um i think you know shows like the bear and stuff they depict this real rock and roll kind of lifestyle that chefs have like you you work hard play hard Mm. you got to go out party lots of drinking um the culture at attica is just so i couldn't be further from that um a lot of us like myself enjoy doing things on our days off that aren't being hung over and you just you can't achieve them if you're hung over so you know myself like i love training for marathons so that's like where all my time goes there's another guy who loves rock climbing and he'll go out to you know the grampians which is a mountain range in uh victoria he'll go climb like real rocks like none of this gym stuff like real deal like it's hectic and like that's just the culture throughout the whole kitchen team which i think i really love and everyone kind of froths off each other which is good is it your equivalent of that sort of sense of release that people might associate within the hospitality industry of people going out and sort of partying or drinking and stuff? Is is that what kind of running 
sort of fulfills within you or are there more kind of elements to it yeah definitely i definitely think it like definitely fills that void um of like a stress release yeah i think i think like the intensity you have with running is like almost the equivalent but you're just not hungover and you're not depleting like you're definitely depleting yourself in like a lot of other ways um if you're going out and you're doing you know a marathon training session or a long like a 30k long run you're toast for the rest of the day just as if you would as if you went out all night but i guess you're getting a bit more benefit out of it mm. um i think what i what i like about running and working in hospitality is it builds structure um a lot of restaurants you know are on shift work uh you don't really know what you're what your time frames are like when you're working, when you're not, like it's it's all jumbled around all the time. So I think allocating a time frame in the morning or after work every day, like just p- picking like a few consistent times throughout mm. the week where you actually can run and you can hit those goals every every week. The structure and just the routine you build within your lifestyle, I think benefits me like tenfold. Being able to like come into work, I think having gone for a run and back to that mental health thing, like the endorphins you get from running and it just changes your mindset. You know, who knew running good for you. <laughs> um, but just getting, being able to get into work and being on, like you're on from the moment you walk in. Like I've, I remember having a lifestyle as a young chef, you know, kind of work yourself into the ground. You'd wake up 15 minutes before you need to leave the house. You'd get dressed, you'd brush your teeth. You wouldn't eat breakfast. You'd get to work. You would eat your staff meal at work six hours later you would work another six hours, you'd go home, maybe have dinner and then just, just that on repeat. And it's so unhealthy. So trying to like fit that run in, like you're, you're awake, you need the fuel to do your run. So you have your breakfast, you have a coffee, you know, you, you mull about the house for a bit afterwards, um, put your feet up on the couch, but you end up like my eating habits have changed significantly. They're so much healthier. I'm eating like four meals a day now, just try and fuel myself my runs because I just want to get better at running. I love that. And I, I think you, you, the thing you touched on earlier, the structure thing, runners, I think, love that structure. I think we sort of, we well, mm. I do certainly. Like we kind of, we sort of, we, we crave it, I think, because it, it helps. You see you see that process. You, you see the lineage of your training stacking, like one session on top of the other, and you see that hopefully the graph trending in the right direction. I'm curious the thing with shift work though, like, was it to begin with when you were sort of starting your running journey with that sort of irregular shift pattern or maybe the long hours or the late finishes? Was it a struggle to find that sort of rhythm to start with? Absolutely. It took me, so I, I'm a real hobbyist and whenever I like find a new hobby, I just go all out. So I kind of started running and committed to doing three marathons in a year, which I don't think I'd ever do again, but I battled and battled and battled, like especially the first one, like the structure and the balance between work and training was oh, just non-existent. And then by the last one, so I did Gold Coast most recently. I think my balance throughout that was like perfect, um, especially because I run with a lot of people who work nine to five jobs. You know, I sometimes I don't finish work until 1 a.m. I might not get home until 1.30. By the time I've had something to eat, by the time I'm asleep, it might be 2.30. And then everyone else is, you know, planning to run at 6.30 together. You then fall into that trap of, do it like it's a 30k run do i either do it by myself or do i sacrifice my sleep and do it with other people and slog it out with them which occasionally you do like i would do so there would be like i think there are a few weeks at like the peak of that gold coast marathon block where i think i averaged five hours sleep a night which you need the sleep but then you also need the people to train with so like mm. where do you where do you find that um it's a, yeah, it's a hard it's a hard tightrope hard tightrope to walk 
but I think as well that that level of grit, like that's got to lay foundations for the the, the hard yards towards the end of a, a marathon, knowing that you've had those countless days where you've got up after four or five hours sleep and smashed a 30k long run with your mates like do you feel like plus as well i imagine the pressure with it the pressured environment within the kitchen as well that sort of maybe mm. lays the foundation for a certain mental fortitude for the harder stages of a marathon yeah it's freaking amazing but then i guess at the same time i think what i, I think i balanced it really well with gold coast and i didn't really feel fatigue too much until like the last weeks but i think like getting after the marathon of once the endorphins of the training and the race are done, the fatigue really catches up with you. And I think I, that's something I really battle with. I, I do think I give myself chronic fatigue within, I don't know, probably at the lower end of the spectrum, but it does take a lot for you to get going again um, mm. and to kind of bring yourself back. So trying to like really trying to like hone in on that is tough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just it's always amazing, and I just suppose it's such a testament to how running can really kind of get its hooks into people that people are willing to make that sacrifice mm. to make it work for this thing that they love. So I'm curious with with eight miles, how did that begin? Because we've had a lot of people on the show who've built their own communities, running communities around the world, and I'm always curious about the sort of first iterations of it, like the first meetup, like getting it together, like how one has the idea and then how one actually brings that to fruition and what that kind of first meeting is like. Yeah, it was really, it was definitely interesting. Like throughout being in hospitality, I've loved organizing events. So I've kind of had some experience with that organization side, but I guess breaking into something completely different and starting a running group, like like, you know, it's not a ticketed thing. That's just something people rock up to. How do you create a community when you actually, when one doesn't exist mm. at the start? Like you're really, really, really starting from nothing. So it did take a lot of badgering for me to all my friends um, just to be like, please come down, please come down. And we started during winter, which just makes it like a little mm. bit tougher to get people out. Um, however, I think the biggest thing with eight miles that I tried to do is make it an approachable time. There's a lot of running crews around Melbourne that start at 6 a.m. And getting like, I feel like I always say to myself, if you're getting up in the fives, like it's too early. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still guilty. I've, I do get up in the fives and go and train with friends at six, but I kind of made it at seven o'clock, made it approachable. Um, a mentor who really helped me with it was Riley Wolf. So he's the founder of Hunter Athletics in Melbourne, um, like an incredible run club. And they get that community is huge. Like, you know, sometimes we'll get 100 people down to a track session really really cool so riley helped me a lot with strategizing how to make eight miles approachable um and comfortable and it's just a safe environment i think i think one goal i've always really tried to keep in mind with eight miles is to make it approachable and social there's a lot of social run clubs um but clubs that say they're social run clubs that aren't um mm. i would say like hunter for example hunter is um but when we do a session at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday, you know, during winter, it's dark the whole session. You can't see anyone. It's a six by one session. Six by one K is the session standard. Um, some people run it at freaking three minute 20 per kilometer. Some people run it at five Ks per kilometer, uh, five minutes per kilometer. So it's like, it's, it's hard to keep that social when there's some, like the divide is huge. Mm. Um, whereas within eight miles, we always run with the slowest person. We don't, we don't point out that's the slowest person. Everyone is pretty well-versed and mature enough to be like, oh, okay, this person's slowing down. Let's all wait up here. We'll all regroup. Like we always have like our regroup points throughout our run. There's probably 
three or four, whether it's a drink tap or it's like at the top of a hill, um, really, it's like so important that that sticks around um, mm. within eight miles. And if it doesn't, every now and then you get a new guy who comes and he tries to run off and, and then a few people get dragged away with it and that you really just got to just, I don't know, you know, you're not putting the hard word on them, but you're quietly suggesting that we all just wait for each other. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then when we get to the end of our run, uh, this was really cool. So a guy called Pete, he works for Solomon um, in Australia. He worked there was, at the end of one run. Just the vibes were just so good. Everyone was just so buzzed. And exactly like you would have in like, I don't know if you do it in the UK, but whenever you play like little league soccer or football in Australia, the end of the game, both teams line up and everyone shakes each other's hands. And Pete initiated this at the end of one of the runs, you know, here's 20 people, like two lines of 10, everyone shaking each other's hands and high-fiving each other saying, good job. Now that's just like the standard after every run and just making people feel like they've achieved something and, they're not the slowest or they're not the fastest. Like I think it's a, like, it's so cool. Really, really cool. And that didn't even come from me. That just came from someone else that was running. So, and, and that's the really exciting thing I think with communities is when members within the community start to build and grow it from within. And that responsibility is not removed totally from you as the sort of founder, but you know what I mean? The community sort of self-perpetuates itself and starts exactly. to grow and, and sort of change and, and shift. I'm I'm really interested in that thing that you said earlier about strategizing in order to make the the run crew kind of approachable. Because like you say, there are a lot out there. There's a lot of communities mm. and stuff. And I think for some people from the outside looking in, they think, oh, this does look cool. But like, I'm, what's the experience going to be like for me when I first arrive? So say, for example, I, I've I've landed in Melbourne. I'm all, all my lonesome. I've seen this sort of run yep. crew on Instagram. What are the things that you try and put in place for that that very first moment, the, the 7 a.m. or the 6 a.m. when you, you see some people who are in trainers in the distance, like, oh, that looks like the group. Like, what are you putting in yeah. place to make sure that first interaction is as approachable as you want it to be? I always make sure I just invest, invest in their first three to five minutes within arriving. Ask them who they are, where have you come from, like, how are you is like just, just the general one, just like, how are you? Um, and a lot of the other core guys have really got that just as well. So if it's not me, if there's several new people, like they're all very, very, very good at making people feel welcome. And because we do run at like a slower pace, a social pace, you can kind of keep that going for the whole run, mm. but it's really lovely having new people come. And I think you just have to, that's the thing. You can't create a safe space if you start turning your back and making it just this awkward confrontation like running can be quite an intimidating thing when you don't know what's going on like you don't know how fast people are running you don't know how far it is like oh my god am I going to keep up if you just like ask like that's the whole thing with eight miles if you just ask someone how they are like that's the whole kind of vibe we want to keep going you're hardwired for that with years in the hospitality industry as well right like you're going to have that natural lean yeah I think like I don't think it's hard to be kind look if you just smile at someone and just care and listen. Like it's all you got to do is like, just listen. It's like all you really got to do. Like it does get hard sometimes to remember everyone's names. Sometimes you get quite a few people rocking up once you're like, oh. <laughs> they, come the next, they come the next fortnight. And you're like, I don't remember. But I think just like honesty being like, I'm so sorry. I forgot what your name is. Thank you so much for coming. Love to have you here. Yeah. It's just an investment in the people. And I, I don't think anyone really takes responsibility for each other. 
But yeah, like I said, it doesn't take much to be kind and that's all we want to do. Just be a kind place for people to come and run. I love that. And I'm also not the best with names. I always think just if you own it, <laughs> there's so much power in just owning that. I've been like, I'm so incredibly sorry. I've totally forgotten your name. Can you remind yeah. me? Like, it just goes so far, I think. Yeah, I think just, just honesty in general. Like, look, if you're not honest, yeah, it's probably not a good thing. So <laughs> people, forget names all, people, people forget names all the time. It's like, no one's an expert. No one has that freaking memory. I love it. Life lessons right here with you. I love it. Do you want, yeah, we're going, that's right. We're going deep. I love it. I love it. So looking on your Instagram, I saw I saw birthday cakes because you celebrated your one year and we touched on that at the beginning. I mean, how has the past year been for the group? It's been really good. There's been a lot of learning curves um, for us, I think. I think definitely for myself and learning about how I want eight miles to progress. Um, we So when I touched on earlier about having that Eat the Issue initiative, mm. I'll touch on that a little bit. Like, you know, we'd, we'd host just like regular events, um, whether it be a dinner, whether it be like a little canapé party, whether it be like a panel discussion. It would be so hard to get people to contribute something to it. We were not-for-profit. Like it would be ticketed. We would donate all the proceeds to – local charities um, or not-for-profits and it would be like so incredibly hard and not that I ever ask for things for free. Um, I think there's like, I, I, I hate that whole thing. I don't think anything's ever for free. And when it's a product, like if it's a case of wine or some beers or a venue that you're asking someone to donate, like, you know, like nothing, like they're paying for something at the end of the day. Like what are they going to get out of it? Mm. And not that they ever expecting for free, but there was never any, yeah, there was like never people were, it was really hard to get people to contribute, which it, it is what it is. Um, you know, maybe people were financially harder places and, and that's it. But with eight miles, like we've been inundated with people wanting to help out and to do stuff with us, which is incredible, whether it be beverages for the team, whether it be wanting to like bring down some shoes to do a wear test for everyone to wear, doing like events with, you know, different brands and companies has been really good. And I think we've definitely learned, I've definitely learned throughout doing some of those events, whether they actually add value to what eight miles is and our community. And if the people of eight miles are actually happy doing that and being a part of that. Um, I never think about it as a brand or something that I want to do. I'm always thinking about how's this going to be, like how is everyone within our community going to enjoy this? For instance, there was one, we have a TV show. It's like a travel and lifestyle show on one of our big channels um in australia called postcards and it's it was kind of random they'd reached out to us be like hey we want to come down and film with you guys and at first since it's like oh my god that's it this like tv show is going to come down they're going to film eight miles that's great and then sitting on it for a bit i'm like it's actually who's that really benefiting um you know eight miles is a safe place that people come to run maybe they don't Maybe it's not somewhere they're coming to have their heads slammed straight on a TV. You know, maybe they're escaping something in their personal life, whether it be relationships or business. And, you know, maybe being on the TV isn't the best thing. And maybe us being on the TV is going to create this freaking bombardment of people who just really don't understand the culture that we're trying to build. So mm. we end up saying no to it, um, which I think was like a really important step in my growth of learning what is good and not good for eight miles. That's really interesting, I think, because running crews and c communities, you're building something that is of, of such value to the core members, but it is something you're, 
the the idea of community it's a very sort of loaded word i think at the moment with with companies and brands wanting to help support but also attach their value to the value of the community that you've built and i think it's a very sort of um fine balance you have to strike with protecting yeah. what it is that you've created for, for the members as well like I mean, what has their reaction been to to some of the events? Like, do you do you speak to them about it? Do, you, do they say, "Oh, actually, you know what? I didn't actually enjoy all those photographers coming down and shooting us, or it was a bit, oh, it was a bit too much having all that kind of attention on us." I definitely do uh, have those conversations with our like core guys. Um, but yeah, I think I think for, yeah, overall, it's very genuine and very good. I think mm. people do enjoy it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think. I think people can get that feel whether something's genuine or not, like doing stuff for our birthday. That was about everyone. And like, it was so exciting. And it's like, I've been in this lull with running and going and doing something like the birthday and just throwing this huge party and celebrating such a thing, like felt really important and really significant. And I think what was most important and what my biggest goal with doing that was making people feel like they have contributed to making something um, and being a part of something. So I think like you just, like they're the main things you got to think when doing those mm. like I guess bigger events and something I always try and make sure I'm doing when it, when someone comes to me and they're like hey we want to do this with you it's always just like why like why not not like why do you want to do that with us but like what's your intention out of this what are you wanting to get out of this and then you can kind of figure out whether it's genuine whether they're actually in it for an act of giving and wanting to help or if they're expecting a return on it like we had a company reach out they're a beverage company uh to like a lot of non-alcoholic beverages and stuff they and it pretty much like wrote us an email being like we want to contribute in some way um we don't know how if you you tell us we'll make it happen and i got back to i've been wanting to make merchandise like age just like t-shirts <laughs> for quite a while and i was like great this would be what would really 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 help us because I'm a chef, I'm on a chef wage, I'm not freaking rolling in cash. I said, I would love some help with the initial outlay of our T-shirts. Um, it's going to maximum $1,500. Um, it would be great if you guys could help us with that outlay. Once we sell the T-shirts, we'll reimburse you with the full cost um, of whatever you've put in. With that Of that $1,500, it'll go straight back to you. Uh, and then they came back to us being like, yeah, can do that, but we just want to make sure we have our logos on the T-shirts. I was like, hmm. So you don't really want to help us with this. Like, this is about you. This is not about you wanting to help us and contribute to us. So then that, that was done. <laughs> That's just, mm. unfortunately, I hate it. I, like, it was so upsetting because it was like, it felt like a really good thing. And then you saw it was actually a business thing and it wasn't genuine and it wasn't people we were dealing with. Yeah. It was business. <laughs> Yeah, so, it's and it's another experience. Yeah, and it's and it's all those experiences that you cultivate and and build a you know build a sort of body of experience that know that when the good ones do come along, you know that what their intentions are and that the intentions are pure. Yeah. So you've just celebrated one year. Looking forward, I mean, what does the what does the future look like for for eight miles going forward? Within Melbourne, I'm actually yeah. Funnily, we were discussing earlier. I'm actually moving to London in November this year, so. That's definitely something I'm wanting to look at branching out into um, and kind of bringing the community we have over there. A few of the guys from Melbourne is like, yeah, they're still going to keep it going every second Wednesday, which is great. Um, like I have so much faith and trust that they're going to replicate everything that we do and everything that I strive to do 
And I, I, I don't know. I think it's very easy to organize events externally. You can still kind of, everyone has an email, everyone has a laptop, so that should be fine. Um, you can still monitor that <laughs> from far away. Uh, but yeah, really want to kind of see what the running community and the running world is like within London. Yeah, I would love to bring eight miles there if if it needs it, I think. I don't want to, you know, start flooding it with another running running club that maybe it doesn't need or maybe like what it's missing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the that's so exciting. I love the idea of a of a of a run community like yeah bridging the gap between australia and london could be really really exciting and i think london has got a huge running community crew scene and there's there's so many fantastic examples many of them we've we've had on the show but i i wonder i'm just trying to think from the top of my head whether there's any that have the sort of the lilt or lean towards the the hospitality industry and i i i can't think of anything immediately off the top of my head so maybe there is a place for for eight miles to have a, a london we've got chapter the gap. we've got the gap in the market we're there gap <laughs> in the market so you're moving over in november will you be you're going to be working in a, a top tier a restaurant when you're over here yeah hopefully i've uh sent a few emails out it's kind of i don't know it's hard with restaurants it's no one really hires you within a couple of weeks of the start date so been touching base building connections now so uh excited to to see what will come of that. But I also think, I think work culture in the UK is a lot different to what it is in Melbourne. Like I'm pretty, very, very lucky to work a pretty cruisy 45 hour week uh, within hospitality. And I somewhat feel like they're going to be almost double that in, uh, in London. So try, as, lo- as long as I can kind of find that gap uh, in the schedule, I would yeah, freaking love to Oh, really? So again, this is me showing my na- naivety when it comes to the London hospitality scene. Have we got a bit of a reputation for punishing hours? Yeah, I don't, I don't think in a negative way. Like, I think it's like you, if, if you want to go to a top tier restaurant, it's an investment and it's education. It's, I think it'd be the exact same way as if someone was studying law and they went to university all through the day and they came home and kept studying at night because that was something they really wanted to do. I see. Unfortunately with, unfortunately with hospitality, you can't just take your work home with you. You can't just take your onions and, you know, take your fish and, you know, just start cooking at home. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just like that investment of like, you want to learn something, you want to go, like you'll spend as much time and you'll do whatever it takes to kind of get the most out of it. Yeah. Which, no, is, I- which is what I aim to do. Uh, absolutely and I, I that was a sort of a slightly leading question i wasn't asking you to sort of throw the uk hospitality industry under the yeah, bus no. i think you, you drew the example there. Yeah. <laughs> God, you, I, all, they never replied to my emails funnily enough um no no that thing of like that thing exactly you articulated brilliantly of of, of obsessing and wanting to master um a, a particular craft or a dish i mean is there is there an area of cuisine that you're drawn to I think, yeah, definitely just coming back to classics, um, just very classical British cooking, British cuisine or like French cuisine. And I feel like you can really build off a lot of that. It's, it's just, some of it just looks so freaking hard. And I know when I see something that's hard and I go, oh, I can't do that. It just makes me want to do it a lot more. What's um, the hardest sort so, of head scratcher dish that you've ever had to sort of construct and put together that's taken you forever to master? Oh, you, know, you know, so um, at Attica, we were developing this dish for... I think the better part of eight months, um, our owner went to, he had a trip to Bologna in Italy and, you know, had the best lasagna of his life. So we were developing this lasagna for yeah, yeah eight months, um, but not a lasagna is, 
like a stacked one, we would essentially roll out a meter and a half long sheet and we would cut, cut it probably only five centimeters wide. So you've got this long strip and then we would spread all the bechamel along it and it would spread the bolognese along it and then we'd roll it up. So it was like this, this big, I don't know, like spiral of lasagna and trying to figure out that. And like, it was painful. It took ages, but we finally got it. And now it's on the menu. So we got there. <laughs> that one, that one did, did uh, probably took five of us. Yeah. Five of us, eight months to try and just figure that one out and action it. Eight months. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. That is and just to get it right. Like every time and like the cooking process is just ages. You know, the bolognese probably take us 10 hours to cook on the stove and, uh, we now like we cook it with uh, all like wild pest meats um, within Australia. So wild buffalo, wild boar, and buffalo boar and venison. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. That is insane. I just I find it fascinating. I find it absolutely fascinating. And do you have a do you have your own signature dish? Like, what's your equivalent of the uh, of the omelet that get, that gets made in in the bear? Have you seen that episode where they where she makes the yeah, omelet for I, her? I have. It's fine. I actually made an omelet for breakfast this morning, uh, and I think I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I don't know about a signature dish. I like to have a huge passion for making pasta. Um, mm. My grandmother comes from Sicily. Uh, she migrated to Australia in the fifties. Uh, okay. I know you're probably looking at me over Zoom right now, being like, "This guy doesn't look Italian." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she is like such a fantastic cook, and I definitely take a lot of inspiration from her. And getting into my adult years, have definitely wanted to discover that a bit more. Um, so yeah, like, like throughout lockdown, fuck, I just went like past and mad. I set myself a task. We had this four month long lockdown in Melbourne, and I just told myself, "I'm not going to buy a packet of pasta." Uh, from the supermarket this whole time. So I made pasta probably twice a week for four months and got pretty good at it. I got a lot of money. I've invested in some pretty unique pieces of equipment, um, <laughs> very large rolling pins, wooden boards, you name it. It's probably in my kitchen. Um, it was very, very fun. I think that's a really nice romance of cooking pasta and mm. making the dough and rolling it out. It's a uh, yeah, really enjoy that process. And runners and pasta are, are perfect bedfellows. Um, and we were talking oh, absolutely be before we started running. You're doing uh, Valencia this year, and I hope your migration to to London and the, the maybe the more kind of intense hours doesn't uh, affect your sort of training plan. But how you you've just started today your your training block. What's the what's the target? Is there a target in mind for for Valencia? Is there yeah, a time? There's been a freaking target for the past three marathons to all go under three hours and we get close and there's just always, I don't know, you'll always find an excuse for yourself that like, Oh, I didn't go well because of this, but we'll get there. I've got a good feeling about this one. <laughs> got a good feeling. So we always have a good, we always have a good feeling at the start of the block. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it'd be nice just to do an international marathon. And I think with the last one, like as soon as I started seeing that it, like, maybe I wasn't on target and I was going to miss, I, I took my watch off and actually just like really enjoyed the run. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I started blowing up like 30 Ks, started cramping a lot. And I was like, bugger it. You spent so much time getting to the point of the race. Uh, you know, you spent so much money traveling to do it and the entry fee, the, the, the sleep debt you're in, like everything. It's like, what's the point in watching your watch? like looking at your watch and it's like you're just going further and further off target 
So I took it off. I gave it to a friend and ran the rest of it at my own pace and enjoyed it so much. So I think that's, it's, I don't know, maybe I might even just run Valencia without a watch. Who knows? <laughs> just give it a crack. <laughs> wow. Great. I, I mean, we've explored this on the show before, this whole idea of naked running, not the literal naked running, although I'm sure there is a space for that as well, but running. Maybe we, we could give it a go. We could get, Hey, maybe that's the beginning <laughs> of your London go. chapter. <laughs> I, I, lo- I can see it now. I can see the parks in London. I can see the sort of uh, the civil dif- disobedience yeah, ja- kind of tickets we'll coming the- out. The naked, the naked chef, Jamie Oliver, he can duck past a run. Exactly, exactly. Jamie, <laughs> if you're listening, I, I don't think he is, but he might be. You never know. Um, but I, I love that. Yeah, the naked running thing of sort of um, removing yourself from your watch. But I love I loved the idea of you doing it mid-marathon and actually sort of savoring the moment and enjoying the experience rather than getting bummed out as the watch kind of ticks over and just makes you feel more yeah. and more kind of depressed. 12Ks from home. 12Ks is still a long way. And it's a long time to really spin yourself out. So I don't know the vibes around any marathon, just incredible. And the, the crowd and I don't know, seeing your friends run past you, maybe they're having the run of their life and just watching them run past, you get so excited and you just actually forget about any of your struggles at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe just, you know, walking through a drink stop, you're like, oh, this feels nice. <laughs> never done this before. <laughs> it's like coming it's into good. a bar in a lovely restaurant, you know, have someone yeah, there, you know, amazing. mixing the drinks for yeah. you. <laughs> and, and then like, and then, you know, like once you start getting towards the finishing shoot, that's when you kind of, you really put in again. Um, and like, you just soak it all up. You cross that finish line. You're like, sweet. I think people do forget that doing a marathon in itself is such a huge feat. Like if you tried to name anyone outside of the running community who's run a marathon, like you could probably count them on one hand. Like it's not many people. Um, it's very, very easy to get lost in why you run and what you're doing it for. So I think just to make sure you actually do enjoy it the whole way around is is very important. Like we're not getting paid for it. We're, not, we're paying to do it. Like there's no <laughs> hey, point hating it. Hey, not yet. You never know. You, know, you, know, you never yet. know. NN could be ringing you right now. You know, you, they could be maybe, calling. Maybe. They could be calling you right now. Come out to East Africa. Um, Is it? That's yeah. it's so an eight miles, eight miles NN club coming in. <laughs> the the ultimate collab. I love it. It's so, it. so true though. It's so important to remember the, the enjoyment of the experience. And like, like you say, like we, it's a, uh, we sign up to it. Do you know what I mean? It's not, we're not forced under mm. duress to do these things. So it's important to remember that kind of, that kind of joy and, and clearly the joy that you're creating out there with the community with eight miles and hopefully maybe a, a London chapter as well. That's, that's really, really exciting. I look forward to, to maybe sharing some miles with you in, in the UK when you arrive in, in November. I think that would be fantastic. So if people want to, if people are listening maybe in, in Australia and they want to kind of get connected or they want to be ahead of the curve for if a London chapter appears, where, where can they find you? Uh, where does on Instagram, 8 Miles, I don't even freaking know what it is. I think it's 8miles.rc on Instagram. Okay. Um, easiest way to find us. Uh, yeah, post pretty regularly. Yeah, all, amazing. Like all the photographs, all the photography on there is by one of our regulars, Chip. So Chip's actually the one that's going to take over eight miles upon my departure. Um, the nicest dude you'll ever meet um, and such a talented photographer. So very fortunate that, uh, yeah, he's just a package deal. We get get pictures and just great dude, <laughs> great leader. <laughs> so look out for Chip if you're in Australia and if you're over over here in the UK, then hopefully you'll be, you'll be meeting George at the end of a, an 18-hour shift whilst he's mastering whatever 
bizarre kind of exactly. dish he has to put together. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, George, an absolute treat. Really love what you're building out there in Melbourne. And yeah, I'll be putting all of those links in today's show notes. But thank you so much for coming on and being such a fantastic guest on The Big Room. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. A big thank you to George for coming on the show. I'll pop 8 Miles social links in today's show notes so you can give them a follow. And who knows, you may be going for a run with Chip or George in Melbourne or London in the coming months. Thank you so much for listening to The Big Run. I hope you are enjoying these episodes. And if you are enjoying the show, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts from. It really helps with the show's visibility. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Big Run.